Welcome to Buddha at the Gas Pump. My name is Rick Archer, and my guest this this week is Bob Nickel. Welcome, Bob. Um, welcome, yeah. <laughs> welcome here. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, and uh, unlike most of my interviews, uh, interviewees, I know very little about Bob because this was set up very spur of the moment um, by his friend Mark, who uh, was organizing things for him. And Mark Mark explained to me that Bob has cancer and is going to be undergoing chemo and maybe radiation also pretty soon and won't be in feeling much like doing an interview. Uh, so we kind of bumped you to the head of the queue and I haven't had the chance that I usually have to listen to a lot of YouTube videos. In fact, my computer was down for a couple of days. I had a blown out power supply. So uh, here we are. This is going to be a fresh, spontaneous exploration of the world of Bob Nichols. <laughs> Well, it's really good to um, be able to um, to have this interview. Um, very happy to do it. Good. Um, as far as Bob's personal life, it's um, actually pretty ordinary. Mm -hmm. uh, I was an, an adventurous person when I was young, and uh, and just loved adventure. I sailed all over the world. Nice. And and didn't really go to work until I was about 40. <laughs> and uh, Although there was a lot of work, of course, involved on the boats and, and, right. and that. But, um, then at that time, I went back to school, got current in electronics, mm -hmm. and went to work for Hughes Aircraft, hmm. uh, working on flight simulators for about eight years. And, um, you know, just moved from there over to a, a brewery and worked for them for about eight years huh. in, in management. In, in the, no, you weren't a taster. No, I wasn't a taster. <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I was the guy that would come and and, uh, and put the recipe into the computer because we couldn't test, trust the tasters to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. <laughs> and uh, so you worked for a brewery for about eight years. Right. And I guess, and then I had a stroke in 1997, and hmm. I retired at that time. Wow. Um, so where does the whole spiritual odyssey come into the story? Well, that runs parallel to the work odyssey. Mm -hmm. uh, I have a very good friend, a dear friend here in Ojai, uh, a fellow by the name of Dr. John Nassi, who's been mm -hmm. a personal friend since the late 60s. Mm-hmm. And he'd always been the one that was interested in spirituality. I wasn't right. uh, that much, but I would go to events with him, and I was always the, the skeptic, you know, mm -hmm. the practical, you know, realist. So right. And, uh, and it wasn't until the stroke that I sought him out, and at that time he was showing uh, Gangaji tapes to, to mm -hmm. groups here every Wednesday night, and I started watching the tapes, and it became very clear to me that there was something going on with this self-inquiry. Right. And I can remember just being willing for self-inquiry to happen. It mm -hmm. wasn't all about vigilance, as Gangaji and, and Ramana talk about, or or um, or earnestness that, that Nisargadatta talks about. It was more just a willingness to take a look. Huh. And in the, out of this willingness, I found that I was getting happier and happier and happier, and pretty soon I was one of these bliss bunnies that you see running around. And of course, I thought this meant something really important about me. I, I thought, well, I've really arrived. I'm enlightened. And oh, yeah. I would go to every satsang, regardless of who was giving them, and uh, sit up in the front row and stare at the guru, uh, <laughs> demanding, demanding my recognition that that I, I I had arrived. Uh, yeah. And uh, what was this taking? What did this taking a look um, amount to that had brought you to this condition? Well, like I say, it was more the willingness than than the mechanics. But what it looked like, it was actually self inquiry was very uh, very confusing for me in the mm -hmm. beginning. Because I expected some answer, I thought that I was going to trade my identity in, you know, from being Captain Bob to to Enlightened Bob, yeah. and that there would be some kind of event that would precipitate that. But it wasn't really 
an event, it was just I got very happy. Huh. So you yeah. just put, were putting your attention on spirituality, you know, going to satsangs and watching videos and stuff, and somehow just that new orientation in your life brought greater happiness. It wasn't that there was any specific practice that you engaged in or anything. No, just any time that I was, uh, you know, that some emotion would come up, some momentary emotion would come up, I would chase it back to its source. Ah. It was really easy to do because the source seemed to be, you know, the ha the, the, the blissful state. Mm. Okay. So you were sort of, I suppose we could say more self-referral or introspective or, or something than you had been most of your life when you probably just were outer-directed and doing whatever right. you were doing. There, there was right. a, the attention was turning within. Right. Yeah, yeah, it was definitely, except for a brief stint with, uh, with uh, Werner Earhart back in the 70s and, and, and some transcendental meditation mm -hmm. there again in the, in the 70s. Mm -hmm. um, it was pretty much virgin ground here. Okay. How long did you do Werner Earhart or TM? Well, I actually got it. I did TM for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and then I just, it just seemed like there was no difference between what was going on with my eyes closed sitting in a posture than what was going on outside. Okay. So it, it seemed, and at that point, the practice dropped itself. Right. Okay. But you wouldn't say that you had awoken or anything at that point back in the 70s. Right. It was more like you just didn't notice yeah. any contrast anymore between meditation and activity. Well, I had another peak experience uh, in the process of doing the S training in 1976. Mm -hmm. And for, oh, about two weeks there, I would look all over the place, and I, all I saw was myself. Wow. It so you, you had some stuff early. cooking pretty early on then. Right. Well, even at 19, I, there was a discovery of myself as, uh, as pure witnessing. Mm -hmm. But I was so busy with school and everything else that got put on the back burner it, it didn't stick right and none mm. of these experiences seemed to stick right it happened for a couple of weeks and then they go away right or even six months like with the bliss mm -hmm. when i was in the bliss experience it was it was it got to the point where the mind was saying when does this become an indulgence yeah and it became thick and syrupy and it was <laughs> like the, the ego felt that it had to maintain it and defend it Hmm. So there's still the the inquiry still wasn't deep enough, and it was almost like the mind was giving me something so that it could stay in charge, so that it could remain the spiritual director, the one that that uh, that was managing the bliss, managing the uh, clarity. Hmm. You probably know from all your time in India that even bliss is considered to be one of the sheaths or koshas that Ananda Maya kosha, right? Yeah, it it yeah. occludes the self even, and, yeah. and it can be a very alluring one, you know, because it's so nice. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people, you know, keep saying, I lost it, and then they go back and they try and recreate that, that you know, the circumstances, and they meditate their tails off. Right. You know, trying to regain something that's perceived to have been lost. Mm -hmm. um, the truth that one is can't be lost. Right. And it's very ordinary. Yeah. You know, the experiences that are associated with it can run the full gamut of experience, but that which one is never moves and never changes. Mm -hmm. And Ramana's only real admonition or teaching was just simply be still, be as you are. Everything else was just an advocacy of um, of, uh, of self inquiry, and and then he would you know help people with their sadhana. He never discouraged people from whatever sadhana they found themselves engaged in. Right. He felt everything was unfolding. I'm sure he felt just everything is unfolding exactly as it should mm -hmm. here in samsara. But that which we are isn't doing anything. There's no unfolding. There's just this. Right. So here you were back in the late 90s, going to all the gurus and sitting in the front row and gleaming at them and uh, saying, hey, look at me, aren't I cool? And so how, how did you kind of move beyond that phase? Well, I met a fellow by the name of, he goes by the name now of, uh, 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 well, he was given the name Ramana by Papaji, mm -hmm. uh, a Japanese-American fellow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he came to uh, my yeah. town, yep. Mm -hmm. C.Y. Ramana, and he was mm -hmm. basically... Uh, doing a radical awakening process with people. Yeah. And the way I presented to him, it was actually in a weekend retreat, um, I, 
at, at that time, I weighed about 260 pounds, and I was in the gym three days a week. So huh. I was a lot, lot different uh, physical look than yeah. Here. So so it was and all was, muscle, huh? Yeah, I was full of energy. Yeah, cool. And and uh, and the, that energy, as I said earlier, was sometimes being spent defending that bliss state. If any circumstance in life threatened it, I was feeling an upwelling of extreme anger. Huh. And I thought this is dangerous because I've never had really uncontrollable anger in my life. I've always had always pr pr prior to that kept a pretty tight rein on myself. Hmm. Uh, you know, in that in that area, and that goes back to Freudian stuff. You know, and having an angry father and swearing I'd never be like him, and all yeah. the stuff that we usually do handling our archetypical relationships. Um, so I was very concerned. Anyway, we did the process, which is a, a guided visual self-inquiry, you know, and part of it was using him as a mirror, mm -hmm. his eyes as a mirror for the seeing that's happening through this body. Um, and there was an explosive thing when, it, when he asked me to, to see my seeing reflected back into myself, and it's, you know, the, there's a whole setup to this process, and he's very good at, at it. Um, it was like there was an explosion. When I looked back, I saw just for an instant, you know, very terrifying, actually. You know, just it's kind of like where they or, or wherever, wherever, like black was invented. It was darker than black. It was huh. deep. It was, it was just, you know, I guess people would call it, if you were going to label it, it would be the void. Um, and in that moment, it was just like the whole back of my head blew off. Interesting. It was, it was explosive. Hmm. And I went home that evening, and the bliss was gone. Hmm. What was here was just this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I could describe it using words or try to, but it's just, the, I guess in the Bible they call it the peace beyond all understanding. Hmm. And that hasn't really, it's never changed. Isn't there so, also some phrase in Sufism or someplace about the terrifying dark or some some such phrase? Have you heard that? I haven't. Uh, it, I was just listening to a Sufi guy the other day, and he was giving this talk, and he was saying how you know people are always trying to run away from that, but in fact that's where the, yeah. what we should dive into. And exactly. uh, I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't do justice to it, but your experience reminded me of that. Yeah, Papaji used to say, just take a half step back into yourself. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered why why a half step, and then I realized there's no place for your foot to fall. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So uh, so that was like late 90s or something. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah. not that dates matter, but just out of curiosity. 98, yeah. Right. And then there were other teachers after that. Compassion showed up, uh, you know, in, with one teacher... Uh, just it just it was almost like the whole thing's been choreographed ever mm. since the stroke. You know, just the right teacher showed up at the right time. What do you mean the compassion showed up? Well, I was at a retreat with a, a, a weekend retreat on the. I think we were doing the Lankavatara Sutra mm -hmm. uh, with a lady named Shanti Mai. Have you done her uh, yet? I've I've heard of her. Yeah. Right, and uh, people were late. Uh, somebody was late, so she decided that we'd all do the Gayatri Mantra, which I'd mm -hmm. never heard of or done before. And we did it for about 45 minutes, and then she said, well, now send that energy out to someone who needs it. And mm -hmm. I knew several people who were in pretty dire straits, and it, and it, it just seemed like it, there was an upwelling. Every time I breathed, you know, it was like the big jets of energy were coming out of my chest and I was hmm. in tears of course and I asked her I said what the heck was that <laughs> and, and she looked at me and she just grinned almost smirked and she says oh compassion happens wow yeah. huh. I realized that it isn't my compassion it isn't Bob's compassion the compassion comes through us love comes through you know these bodies what we normally take ourselves to be yeah, we're like vehicles or instruments. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's that's interesting. There's a couple of interesting things that come to mind. Um, 
One is the fact that having had a stroke was not a deterrent or an impediment or an obstacle to having an awakening, which might be encouraging for some people because some people feel like your, your neurophysiology has to be functioning just perfectly in order for awakening to occur. Uh, but there are many... Mine, mine obviously isn't. <laughs> right. <laughs> or to be sustained, you know, and in both cases you're doing, you're doing okay on that, on that front yeah. despite some physical challenges. Yeah. Um, and another is, I'm sorry, go ahead, you were going to say something? Sustaining really isn't a question because, mm -hmm. you know, it isn't, it isn't an issue. Uh, you know, the, this, this isn't happening in time. Yeah, yeah. You know, this, this is happening now. Mm -hmm. And recently, I've, it's become very clear that now is not a moment in time. Mm -hmm. Now is not just a little slice of eternity. It's always now. And time yeah. has its, uh, it, you know, time, space, causation, everything ha has its an, it appearance in now. Mm -hmm. And right now, and now it isn't some place to be here that I, you know, you know, quotation marks, need to be here in, here in. <laughs> in other words, I don't need to be here now. I'm now itself. Yeah. There's a great certainty of this. And I am the now itself without saying the word now. Mm -hmm. And I'm now without, and, every, and everything that now contains. Right. S some people use the word presence, uh, which right. I, f you know, as a nice synonym for now, you know, it's just yes, this, exactly. it implies kind of right. solid, perpetual, not, well, yeah, I could say perpetual, just sort of like continuum of right present you know absolutely yeah absolutely yeah huh. now is a, is a great synonym and finally we 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 take all it's fun that it's fun that we wrestle with these with this symbology with these words right it's somehow or another that the words contain the truth no now is the truth words are are our feeble attempt at, at trying to point to it mm. the words aren't the truth the words point to the truth the sailor, the words ahead. can't be the truth because they're they're symbols. Yeah, exactly. The symbols, concepts, and so on. Yeah. I mean, and and they're pretty poor um, symbols at that in most cases. I mean, just mm -hmm. take take a common experience. Take the color red. You know, you and I could sit here for the next hour trying to put that into words, and everybody knows what red is, but our words would utterly fail at, at really conveying any sense of what red is. You know, we, we could use synonyms, we could talk about apples and, and you know, fire and whatnot, but we, we're only just, you know, playing around with concepts. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. It's just conceptual. You know, Nisargadatas, you know, in the end, I think the final Gene Dunn book chronicles it. He, he finally... He had admitted what he was up to in all of the satsangs, and he was there to destroy every satsang, every every, um, every concept that rose you mm. know, anywhere in the room. You know, his job was to destroy it. You know, and then bring us back to a non-conceptual seeing. Yeah. And ironically, he must have been doing that through concepts, because if he's speaking words, he's using concepts. Uh, but as they say, it takes a thorn to remove a thorn. Exactly. <laughs> I remember uh, reading in, in I Am That, <clears throat> one fellow uh, had had enough of it, and he said, words, 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 are we children to be fed words? And Miss Argada fired right back, as long as you believe words are important to your children. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> huh. So yet I do yet I do ninety minute talks, you know, I mean Yeah. And uh, and it's words, words, words. What else are you gonna do? Sit yeah. there and stare at them? <laughs> this whole thing's very paradoxical. <laughs> it is, it yeah. is. Uh and I love that word, as I've often said during interviews. And if you can really sort of become comfortable with paradox, then you don't kind of get fanatical about anything, you know, you, or fundamentalist about anything. You don't you don't insist that things happen have to be any particular way. Yeah. This whole idea of arriving that somehow yeah. we're going to arrive at at some permanent state that's different than the way it is now mm -hmm. um, is uh, unfortunate. Because yeah, except speaking of paradox, uh, on the other hand, that does happen in a sense, you yeah. know? Well, there are events. 
Yeah. Yeah, it did happen. But I can say that even after the Radical Awakening event, that there was still a, and there still is an unfolding here. Mm -hmm. That it it doesn't seem nothing's been attained. Some, but but there's more. Uh, there's a clear recognition of self everywhere. In, you know. Yeah. There's this Zen saying, uh, always being, always becoming, yeah. um, which to my mind means, you know, like, you know, everybody's very popular these days to say, stop seeking, give up seeking, you know, and one can settle into a state in which one can honestly say seeking has stopped, and yet at the same time, discovery doesn't stop, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, there's... You know, when Ramana was asked how, how long one should, should practice self-inquiry, mm -hmm. he said, until there's no one left to inquire. Yeah. Even more pointedly, he was asked, uh, when was he going to stop self-inquiry? And he said, uh, uh, the inquiry, mm -hmm. and he said, until this body's last breath. Yeah. So finally, one can live as a question. Mm-hmm. And not, and it doesn't, Take anything away from the certainty that one, that that arises that one is is that which is now, it, which which is context. It's not concept or content, although it contains everything. Uh, that we're simply here in, in this very ordinarily. Yeah, a, a living life as a question. Because there's a whole lot we don't know. You know, religion is full of beliefs. The metaphysical is full of belief. There's a lot of pseudoscience out there, you know, posing as science, you know, trying to, to I guess, claim an understanding of, of what's going on here. But right. for me, the whole, the whole thing is still a mystery. It's and interesting. I've, yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, Oh, that's enough. You know, oh. History pretty well says it. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say I find it interesting that in the last sentence you used both the word certainty and uncertainty. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and, in, and you used it in such a way as to make it clear that in, in some respect you, you are resting in, a, in certainty. And at the same time, again, paradoxically, uh, there's this kind of continual kind of uncertainty which mm -hmm. is... I find a very healthy uh, juxtaposition in yeah. in one life. It keeps you honest, and and it, it keeps you from going around looking, you know, considering yourself to be special, and, <laughs> and running around collecting devotees, you know, which will give you reinforcement of how special you are. Yeah. You, you know the, the the classic enlightenment sickness. You know? Yeah. Although to the defense of some people who perhaps are worthy of having devotees, I would say it doesn't necessarily have to be, uh, uh, you know, an uh, uh, unhealthy condition. You know, Ramana Maharshi had devotees. It probably didn't go to his head. No, yeah, <laughs> probably didn't. But then he was, you know, he basically, you know, talked about the difference between the quote-unquote outer and inner guru, which, of course, is only... You know the words outer and inner are only relative to the the fact that we consider the limit of who we are as the skin, so to speak, or maybe mm -hmm. a little aura that's 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 radiating around us. Yeah, these bodies. Hmm. Uh, but he basically said that the the outer guru was temporary, and the whole idea was for the outer guru to push the push push the attention within uh, and then the inner guru with the sat guru would take over the right sat guru is forever the the outer guru is just a temporary appearance in in these lives and even i presume our, I'm, I'm sorry go ahead yeah, even even our parents are temporary appearances. sure and i presume that when he referred to inner guru he was not referring to you know, discovering Ramana within yourself. He was just discovering within yourself that which Ramana is, and we are, and uh, and everything is. Yeah, I've heard the word Ramana, you know, defined as as, as simply that which is, is lives in the heart of all being. Mm. Yeah. 
I can't nice. remember where I read that. I read it somewhere, and I thought it was right on. <laughs> mm. So, you know, a, f a few minutes ago we were talking about the, uh, you know, the fact that physical challenges haven't um, been a, an obstacle really for you in, in having this realization and, and, and sustaining it. Um, let's explore that just a little bit more. I mean, Ramana and Nisargadatta both died of cancer, you know, mm -hmm. and presumably that uh, even in the final throes of that, it didn't disrupt their inner realization. I say presumably because I don't know, you know. Um, and it, it, it seems that on the one hand, um, we need a body in order for this to be a living reality. Otherwise, if without a body, there is just well, there's a cat's tail walking past. <laughs> without a body, uh, you know, there's just that that being or, or that presence. Uh, but but there's nothing living it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, so I guess the I guess the question is, how intact does that body have to be for this to be a living reality? Well, I think that it, one is very fortunate if one can discover the truth of now mm -hmm. uh, before one gets sick. You know, yeah. I think that's a huge boon. But uh, you didn't. I mean, you had had a stroke already. Yeah, I had a stroke. Uh, but I was rec I recovered fairly well from that. I had a little aphasia, you know. Minor stroke. It wasn't yeah, a big yeah, major one. It wasn't one. a huge major stroke. Right. In fact, uh, I can remember driving up from all the way up to Mill Valley I, I, uh, to see Gongaji, mm -hmm. and it was it was you know a pretty good sized meeting. And she at the beginning of the meeting she says, "Well, those of you who are first timers, raise your hands." So we mm -hmm. did, and mm -hmm. she made made a mental note, I guess, of. of, of of who we all were and I had a whole story in my head I'd come up there to thank her for the videotapes to thank mm -hmm. her for you know the contribution she'd made over here you know in this live stream yeah and uh, Phil was a gentlemanly thing to do mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and it was a whole story about the stroke and how it was really you know great that to have this teaching while I was while the recovery was taking place. And wouldn't you know it, this fellow came up in a wheelchair right before me who had had a stroke, huh? a major, major stroke. The guy, yeah. he looked at his eyes, he was on fire yeah. with love. And huh. he, they wheeled him, they got him up on the stage, and he told the exact story <laughs> that I had concocted in my brain. You know, stole your thunder entirely, yeah? Stole it completely, and I'm sitting there, and then she looked over, he was finished, she looked over at me and says, well, next, and I says, no, <laughs> I couldn't do it. So it was about a year later in a private meeting that I actually got a chance to thank her for the, uh, uh. For the uh, contribution. You know, and, uh, and just for being here. So, yeah, yeah. She, she's very sweet. I really like her. I, I yeah. interviewed her a while back, and then I met her at the Science and Non-Duality Conference yeah. a cu couple of months ago, and she was just so gracious, um, just really. Yeah. Well, I love all my teachers. I'm certainly not the sharpest pencil in the drawer. I never could have figured this out on my own. That's for huh. sure. I would never have known how to look. You know, so I'm very grateful. Yeah. There are all these uh, forms that show up, and I realize they're all my own self, and they're all just my projection, and all of the Advaita talk and everything. But that doesn't stop the gratitude. Yeah, and yeah. as w I don't think it should. Um, and you know, we're all like, kind of like little candles lighting each other or something. It, you know, even though all the candles are made of wax, some perhaps could use a little fire to get the wax burning or right uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah. so you spent a lot of time in india i i glanced at your website and it said you were more or less commuting back and forth for yeah. quite a while hanging out in tiruvannamalai um anything noteworthy to say about that uh yeah i i just love i just love it there uh mm -hmm. i was there off season i built a house over there was building oh. finishing touches on a house Wow. And I went there during the hot season, and that's when the cancer came back with a vengeance this year. Mm. Um, and I got very ill, and, and when I came back at the, uh, I guess, the end of July, <laughs> um, I was 
pretty sick. But um, I love it there. I, I my my preference is to be there if the doctors tell me that uh, um, that you could be. That, that well, that there's nothing more they can do for me. If we've you know yeah. explored every avenue, I'll probably go back there to let nature take its course. Huh. I we were we were talking uh, uh, about the illness. Uh, when one's in service to the model that we have in our head of who we are, um, anytime something threatens what that looks like, that model, that idea of who we are, um, it's almost like even minor things, you know, and I can remember, uh, it would be like everything was a matter of life and death. You know, this is a matter of life and death. That's a matter of life and death. Getting here, getting started on time. Matter of life and death. You know, it was it was like this whole concocted idea of who I am was at stake somehow or another. Mm-hmm. Um, well, people go in and shoot up their o- the office because they lost their job or something. You know, they, they right. just make these radical moves over trivia. Right. When this self-knowledge arises, and it is, it is a knowingness, it's mm-hmm. not an experience. Right. Uh, it seems like that we can look at birth and death as just events that happen within the context of life. Mm-hmm. And, and those are the probably the two moment, most momentous events that happen in a life. And they're just events. And we can live our lives in fear of coming events or in anticipation of coming, you know, the, the, the anticipation of a good event that's about to happen. And to the degree that we get caught up in that, in other words, to the point where it blinds us to what's going on now, uh, we kind of miss out on mm-hmm. the juice that's available here and now. Yeah. So it is possible not to live in fear, but the only way to really do it that I found is simply to abide as the self right here and now. Mm-hmm. And of course, once it is seen, there's really no effort required for that to be what's so. Yeah, and the operant phrase there is once it is seen, you know, because obviously the vast majority of humanity have seen it. And so they're very much caught up in the drama. Um, and, you know, most people, I suppose, if they were in your circumstances, would be feeling a lot of fear and remorse and sadness and all kinds of things would they be going through. Uh, but you seem to have a pretty balanced, um, a lot of equanimity about it all. Yeah. Well, these, you know, these, you know, I still have a full spectrum of emotions. I'm mm-hmm. not, this doesn't turn you into a zombie. No. Those feelings and, and, and thoughts and all of that arise, mm-hmm. but that which they're in service to, that, you know, the idea of me is seen to be just an, an appearance, but it's like a ghost, you know. It's a ghost in the machine. It's not really who I am. Yeah, and it seems to me that you know, sure, you have the natural range of human emotions, but it seems to me that they must have much less gravitas, you know, much less gripping quality as a result of this perspective yeah. that you have. There's a lot less momentum behind them. Yeah. They don't carry you away. They don't, care, they don't seem to carry me away. I experience them fully, you know, in the moment. And there again, it's not a strategy. They, they are experienced fully, and then they just flash off. Mm-hmm. And I'm here, which is... Which I've always been, you know. So it's it's like a little storm or a little squall happening on the ocean. It really doesn't affect the ocean. The waves may pile up for a little while and, and look very tumultuous. But if one were in a submarine and just dove down 200 feet, you'd never even know what was going on on the surface. Yeah. And do you find that um, when the waves churn up a bit... Um, they take over for a little while, or is it always that the depth of the ocean is there kind of in, in addition to yeah. the waves? This knowingness is here. Yeah, it doesn't get obscured yeah. by the waves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I would say, and, and I'm not, I mean, the circumstances of my life are relatively 
undramatic compared to yours. <laughs> so, you know, oh, we, yeah, I've heard a lot of good drama. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, I, you know, I would say that that is a radically different um, perspective than the average person would have and is um, a great blessing, uh, among other things. Uh, but it, it, it seems to me it would just deflate about 99% of the fear that one would otherwise feel if one were, you know, just locked exclusively into the notion of oneself as a mere individual. Yeah, yeah. That's why this must be shared. You know. Yeah, exactly. In uh, in August, when I, you know, finally got my scans back, um, doctor said, "Well, it looks like maybe you got six months." Mm-hmm. And then he, and that that was a bit of a wake up call. I says, "Well, uh, perhaps I need to share this." And it just. As as life would have it, Mark showed back up in my life, uh-huh. and he's this dynamic guy. Yeah, none of this, none of these satsangs would be happening without his presence. He's mm. doing the computers, he's doing the website, he's doing everything. I just, oh, that's great. He just, he just props me up in front of the room, and I run them out. <laughs> pulls the string on your back, <laughs> and so so and you know he's and and you know the website you know is of course the. Um, BobNicholsSatsongs.com and yeah, I'll be linking yeah. to that from mine and yeah, right. yeah, yeah, great, yeah, because it's uh, we've got a lot of YouTube videos up, you know, mm-hmm. little little clips of uh, from Satsong and from interviews, and uh, and then all also the schedule is is there, you know, as much as we can schedule events now, we're going to sure. continue to do so. For as long as I don't fall over when he props me up in front of him. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, you know the Hare Krishna people. I went to their uh, center in Detroit one time. They had a nice restaurant there, and you go into a different room, and they had a life-size mechanical model of the of AC Bhakti Vedanta sitting there, and it turned its head and looked at you when you walked in. And so maybe Mark can work something like that out. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> um, well, I think it's, you know, there's all these voices out there these days. There's so many teachers, and, and a lot of them are quite young. Uh, and s- sometimes they can seem a little glib, you know, because it's like they haven't necessarily been through uh, all of life's vicissitudes, and they're talking about non-duality and saying all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And But, I you know, I feel like each person has their contribution, and it's valuable. And, and whoever, you know, you, people gravitate to whoever resonates with them. Um, and, you know, I think your your contribution is in some ways unique and and really valuable and i think it's great you're doing what you're doing because i mean it's it's we're all you know no one gets out of here alive as they say and uh and no, it's very no body right no body and it's it's great to hear someone who is you know facing his mortality more immediately than most of us uh who is still like you know blissful and uh confident and you know grounded in in oneness and forgive me if i'm using the wrong terms but just you know speaking that truth uh i think it's good for every good for people to hear yeah well i think i think it's great that there are young people giving sad song and yeah yeah of course they don't uh, maybe have a lot of experience you know life experience yet but that will come it will and i would love to see a day that on a sunday morning or there'd be as many people giving satsang in this country as there are giving sermons in the in the in the various churches and temples yeah um, i i think this knowledge should be in the schools i think mm-hmm. we should be teaching children from an early age you know that uh, you know fostering self inquiry at at, at, a, at a very early age I see a quickening. I see the possibility that uh, that this whole thing could reach critical mass someday, and that everybody would just wake up together. And if we were to see each other constantly, we see ourselves in each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. I think we need. I think a lot of the laws would no longer be necessary. Yeah, and we'd cooperate and we'd transcend all of this nationalism, and we'd actually start working together. You know, to create, uh, you know, a, a a unified approach to 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 the problems that are plaguing that seem to be plaguing us now, and I think a lot of the problems would just dissolve. I don't even think they'd have to be solved. Yeah, that's very well put, and it, uh, it's interesting you should say that because a lot of teachers. 
seem to say that there's no sort of practical implication to this realization. There's no sort of mundane significance to it. Um, and I tend to disagree. I mean, I think that we structure our entire society from top to bottom based upon the level of consciousness we're living, whatever terminology you want to use. And, you know, what you're suggesting is that, you know, living oneness or living, you know, self-realized state would have practical implications on all levels, even economics and, you know, politics and everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's, yeah, as a philosophy, you know, we, we you know, I mean, I, 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 I get a kick sometimes going to some of the Dwight uh, blogs or websites and mm -hmm. you'll see these guys in the name of, of non-dualism, they'll be attacking each other. Yeah, they'll, fighting like cats and dogs. They <laughs> completely ad hominem on each other, you know, yeah. and, and um, which is probably the worst fallacious argument if you were going to have a debate. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny. You know, as a philosophy, it's kind of, I guess there's some value to it, but as a living, as the living truth, it's, uh, it's not even a matter of value and quality. It's just what's so. And, and coming from what's so is, you know, there's possibility, there's a possibility for, for all of this, these self-generated problems, you know, and self I'm talking about, I guess, I hate to use the term, but with the small s, the ego-generated mm -hmm. problems, and ego at the level of, of race, ego at the level of sexual sexual identity, you know, whether you're a man or a woman, uh, uh, in, in a man or a woman's body, um, the whole liberal conservative thing, it's just all, it's all self-generated divisiveness that really doesn't 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 need to be happening mm. you know in the light of who we who we really are we could we could actually raise our arguments uh, a little bit to a different yeah. level it's interesting that you should you know point out the the little cat fights that take place on the some of the non-duality blogs and it it points to a theme i often bring up which is a i i believe there's a sort of a tendency these days for people to gain an, an kind of an intellectual or intuitive familiarity with non-duality uh and then mistake that for the actual living of it and if and then if if that's all you've got is the intellectual thing without the living of it then then th there can very easily be a kind of a fundamentalist uh, attitude or perspective which causes uh, altercations and arguments yeah. and right. you know now, uh, what ha happens is uh, a new orthodoxy gets built you know, yeah you know and it, it, I, I looked up the word orthodox in the dictionary and it mm -hmm. simply means having the correct opinion right right <laughs> and a heretic of course is uh, one who seems to have the right to choose mm. You know, oh, interesting. Maintains the right to choose. Hmm. But uh, it's almost impossible. You know, that's the problem with, with sticking, you know, a, le a guru above you. And if there's a possibility that new orthodoxy will form. And then, and then the whole the spontaneity goes out of it. Yeah. And, and you see that even in, in groups that are founded by people whom I would regard as genuine gurus. You know, the the, the followers or the you know the people in the group tend to get into all kinds of you know fundamentalist and hierarchical and petty ways of behavior um and there's not not much that the the guru can do about it sometimes just although some of them are more effective than others but there's always this sort of a politics that comes into it you know and then if the if the if the guru themselves starts becoming an, an iconoclast, in other mm -hmm. words, starts poking friends, you know, poking at the other ways of looking at things, mm -hmm. uh, it um, it can it gets worse, you know. You yeah. Know, the religious wars even fade you know, uh -huh. out of that. Yeah. Sounds like we both speak from a little bit of experience with this sort of thing, mm -hmm. firsthand. Yeah. <laughs> well. Um, what sh what haven't we talked about that um you know uh, that you like to talk about in your sat songs that you know mm -hmm. you typically say to people uh, are we missing anything here well we're not missing a lot um the only th i just keep saying just be be who you are be still be who you are mm -hmm. um 
a fellow by the name of Carl Rentz. Uh, oh yeah, I think said it very well. I, I, I used to, I watched his thought songs in Tier of Anomaly up, mm -hmm. up till a couple of years ago. He was he he drew huge crowds there, mm -hmm. and some of his one-liners were pretty good. Uh, he said, uh, "Be what you cannot not be." <laughs> uh, of yeah. course, if you can, you cannot not be it. No effort is required. <clears throat> however, but, however, yeah, yeah however, good. However, in the beginning, in this experience, effort is required. Mm -hmm. Personal effort is required. Is required. Uh, Ramana Maharshi was asked one time, "Well, isn't the ego being asked to, you know, inquire or delve into its own roots, into its own identity?" And Ramana said, "Admittedly, so." But then he brought out the analogy of the, you know, the the stick being used to stir the funeral pyre. Yeah. Uh, you know, evidently referring to the ego, mm -hmm. and eventually the stick burns along with the rest. Oh, that's a good analogy. Yeah, I like that. Right. Huh. So, uh, he said that effort is required until it can no longer be maintained. Not till mm -hmm. it's a good idea to stop the effort until the effort just drops away on its own. Yeah, it just turns to ashes. And then after that, no matter how one would effort, you know, you, you find that you just can't, you can't, that effort isn't required and it isn't even possible mm -hmm. in this arena. And then one just simply abides as that. And at that time, it seems, although this seems like it's pro uh, progressive in time, and I guess it is, uh, when looked at from outside, uh, there's no there's no possibility of efforting, and right. and a certainty shows up, but it isn't a certainty about anything in particular. Right. It's just, there's just certainty that just it just starts building, and that happens very slowly in, in this experience. Mm -hmm. And then finally, it's unshakable, and there's this solid knowingness. It's not an experience. It's not something else that one is experiencing. It's, and I think somebody coined the word a few years ago called imperience. It's not even that. Hmm. Uh, it's it's just this. It's just this raw, you know, but not raw in the point of being irritable. Just uncooked uh, knowingness. Mm -hmm. And there again, whales words fail. Yeah. But if people are having that to any degree of clarity, they'll know what you're talking about. And and if they aren't, then I think hearing it um, helps to enliven it to some extent, you know. And in fact, I was going to say, you know, to, do you feel that um, a lot of times when you're sitting saying just abide as the self or whatever, it, it, it falls on deaf ears? Or do you feel that somehow sitting in a satsang and hearing that sort of thing enough times and, and with enough, you know, from someone who's speaking with enough clarity helps to sort of um, inculcate that mm -hmm. in, 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 the, in the listeners, uh, awaken that in the listeners. Well, it's, it's a great privilege to be able to sit in the front of the room and look in the eyes of everybody, you know, out in front of, you know, what a privilege it is. And mm -hmm. you can see in these thought songs that Almost everyone. I mean, you'll see a few frowns here and there in the mind. You know that the mind is doing its uh, yeah, but yeah. It's, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the doubt. The doubt. Mm -hmm. I I sometimes say that the only between the only thing between you and or whoever I'm speaking to uh, in full self realization is just is the yeah buts. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so if the yeah buts drop away. Mm. And, and maybe sitting and in satsang, you're, you're simply left with yourself. Yeah. And maybe sitting in satsangs helps to uh, dissipate the ya buts. You know, it it helps to de uh, un, to decondition the mind from doing that habitually. Yes, um, I went. To, I mean, it was very fortunate for me that my ego wanted all this verification, my, my enlightenment when I was mm -hmm. in that bliss stage, mm -hmm. um, because. Uh, I would drive 200 miles to go to a satsang. It, mm. it was one. I had to be in satsang. I loved satsang. 
it didn't matter to me who was giving satsang. You were a junkie. I was a satsang junkie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's an addiction I highly recommend. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It didn't matter to me. You know, there was never one teacher. There were teachers that made huge contributions, but it was, you know, some of them were like fingers pointing at the moon. Mm-hmm. Other, you know, and and you know, it's a uh, to me it would be, have been a mistake to, to gotten distracted by the finger, you know, mm-hmm. and start worshiping the finger. Um, there were. Um, There were others, you know, who, who who didn't perform that function, but were equally valuable. Mm. Um, they, it was almost like I say in this life, very fortunate. It was like almost there was a choreographer. I don't believe in a choreographer. I want to make that clear. But it almost seemed like it was choreographed. The right person showed up at exactly the mm. right time. And as I said earlier, I would like to see satsang everywhere. Yeah. Nisargadatta said something quite interesting. He said, "Don't um, if if you see people need help or assistance, by all means give it." And then he said, "Don't wait until you're perfect." <laughs> In other to, words, don't to get to give it. You mean? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Um, um, see why Ramana st- put me up in front of my first group in 1998. I think I went did it again and and. 2000, and then it didn't happen again until 2004. People were asking for it, so I w- mm-hmm. it was always a response to a request. Yeah, it was never my own idea, but I could. It was, a, but it, when the request came, it was nothing that I could say no to. Hmm. It's impossible to refuse. That's interesting. Don't wait till you're perfect. Um, uh, you know, sometimes people grumble that there are too many half-baked teachers out there. You know, that are teaching prematurely. Um, but it's, it's, I'd say that as long as people are honest about it and don't claim to be the ultimate grand poobah of, of creation, you know, <laughs> and, you know, acknowledge that maybe there are some things that they're still getting clearer about or whatever, then they, they can make a, a, a great contribution. Like we're all kind of, it's like, you know, you go to, you go to kindergarten, you go to first grade, let's say, and you learn ABC, and you come home, and your little sister says, what did you learn? I said, well, this is A, and this is B, and this is C, and then, and then she says, well, what's next? And, she, and you say, well, I'll tell you tomorrow. Okay. Right. <laughs> Probably the most important thing is your own effort, your own willingness to put yourself in a in in a position where the burning takes place, where you start mm. burning in your own juice, mm-hmm. uh, when you you know, in this willing, <clears throat> you, there's this willingness for 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 things to unfold the way they are apparently unfolding and the way they're going to unfold, mm-hmm. and to not flinch, not run from that. Uh, do you feel there's any danger of dilettantism if one is going to a thousand different satsangs, or do you, or you know, because some teachers say, well, dig one deep well, don't dig a whole lot of shallow wells, and then you'll really get water. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah. <laughs> and that's a, you can make a good case for that if if what you're going for is just to feel good. Just to say, oh, this one gives me more shakti pot than that one, mm-hmm. and you're just going for the good f- uh, feeling. Um, a lot of gur- some gurus get, you know, I guess, probably quite a few if they're effective, get accused of being, uh, what would you say, mood makers. I think that was a phrase that was being used a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then people would come and they'd get high off of it. Uh, for sure. Feeling the peace and 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 solid beingness that one is in satsang is 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 a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's unfortunate that we blow it off so quickly after the you know we walk out the door and we're wondering where the next place to eat is and where the next experience is. But it still does its work. You know, a yeah. seed, seed is being planted. In, in satsang, I think so. And, I think so. Uh, I would say it's 
you know everybody has their own process i'm not sure there's a particular right way for everyone mm. i think that the way it, it unfolds for you is the correct way I think that's a good point. I and mean, I think it, for some people it might be completely appropriate for them to just be with one teacher and not go running all over the place. For others, I think it can be very valuable to um, you know, take a more hybrid approach and yeah. go to and a lot. For, and for some people, you know, wherever they are, you know, it may be just sitting home at night and doing japa, you know, nama mm -hmm. japa for eight hours is the thing that they should be doing now. Yeah. Uh, really important. I think one should just relax and realize that everything is unfolding exactly as it should. Mm -hmm. And that leads me to something you said a few minutes ago, everything is unfolding. You said you didn't believe in a, I forget the word you used, like in an organizer or something that, that is actually orchestrating the events of the universe. Um, you were about to say something in response to that. You want to go ahead? Well, I was looking um, at it from a, you know, from a singular point of view, that mm -hmm. in each of our heads, uh, I think C.Y. Ramana calls it the spiritual advisor. The mind takes on many guises. You know, there's the familiar uh, metaphor of the uh, of the thief uh, pretending to be a policeman so he could get in and steal uh, steal the the uh, the jewelry. And mm -hmm. in this case, the jewelry is peace. And the mind mm -hmm. doesn't want in order to be in a job in its job it loves drama hmm. it, it 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 loves it, it's kind of like a good politician if there's not a problem why uh, <laughs> we wouldn't need them right in, in the meantime we don't we wouldn't need all these egoic identities mm -hmm. and we wouldn't be in service to them as if they were ourselves mm. um, and we could just relax and, and, and follow Ramana's admonition just to be still, be as we are and we'll still find that the body will be doing the needful mm -hmm. just whatever comes up that needs to be done the body will, will do it just out of the exigencies of the moment you know, just what's necessary in the moment Maybe I misunderstood what you were saying earlier when you were saying nothing, you know, lack, there's no organizer but I mean to me, when we when we say things like, "Well, you know, this just happened at the right time," or, I, or "or what I'm experiencing is what I need to be experiencing now," and you know, and even even aside from that sort of thing, I mean, looking down at the at a cell under a microscope, you know, you just see this incredible tel intelligence functioning and structuring and you know operating there, and I just get this feeling that everything is like this big ocean of not only being or presence but intelligence and that there's this this marvelous orchestration taking place and we're all just kind of little cogs in a great cosmic machine yeah i think you know that and the tendency once we see that is, mm -hmm. is, is that we anthropomorphize it well and yeah so well, we might think of a there, there's a being there that, that that actually reasons and thinks yeah i'm not saying that no, yeah, and I and I know, and I can see that you're not, but I, no. I think it's an important distinction. No big old guy in the sky with a beard. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I would have to imagine that guy. Now, if he showed up, I'd be the first one on my knees. Yeah, yeah. That, that uh, Hosanna, whatever. I'm not thinking that way. I'm just thinking every iota, every particle of of. It's like this is. It's we're we're fish in an ocean of of intelligence. It's not only yeah. consciousness, but there's this intelligence with organizing power inherent within it that structures this marvelous universe, illusory as it may ultimately be. It is nonetheless, you know, incredibly mysterious and profound. You're beautifully put. You know, mm. I mean, I, 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 I'm not even going to comment on that. Cause <laughs> it was perfectly stated, and this is the mystery. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is a mystery. And I could anthropomorphize it or say, you know, just depending on where I am and, you know, what I know about this, you know, I could mm -hmm. say I, it's the sun and we could worship the sun this week, you know, and we did yeah. for a long period of time mm -hmm. uh, in some areas. Um, just where, but it is a mystery. Yeah. And the only thing I really know, the only thing that I can argue is I am. Mm -hmm. You know, and if I were to say I am not, you'd say, aha, I got you. Who said that? <laughs>
Right. <laughs> he said, I am not. So it's, it's quite obvious that that's the, the, the one thing I think Nisargadatta said, the one that, that this is our capital, is this I am, because mm -hmm. it's the least changing thing that's happening here. Yeah. However, in, in Vedanta, you know, it's been said that, uh, that I am is the first ignorance. Hmm. Can you elaborate on what they mean by that? Well, I'm not sure I know what they mean, but they're uh -huh. basically saying that I, I am is, the way I see it, it's kind of a pregnant statement. Mm -hmm. um, the am is just crying out for a, an object. You know, in the sentence I am, it's crying for an object. I am mm. what? Right. Right. In this inquiry, then, you know, from I am, this inquiry can proceed. Well, then what am I? You know, it's, 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 it's what we want to know. We, we, it, it's a question. It's part of our natural curiosity. Mm -hmm. what, I, what am I, really? Good question. And, and if, you know, it's if, if everything is one, I mean, if there really are no two ultimately in creation, then, you know, I somehow must be that which is actually giving rise, manifesting the universe, you know, orchestrating the, the rotation of the planets, creating tulips, you know, all that stuff. And I think perhaps a a, a, a direction for maturation would be, you know, initially there's that realization of I am presence, you know, unshakable, it's not going anywhere. But then, you know, we were talking earlier about um, how perhaps there could be further exploration of the mystery. And maybe the direction of growth is in terms of somehow more subtle appreciation of that uh, intelligence quality that uh, seems to be inherent in, in the in I am, you think? I mean, I'm rambling yeah. a little bit, but... Right. Well, you know, I've been rambling <laughs> all morning. Uh, the, uh, you know, they, science mm -hmm. is a wonderful exploration. It is. Yeah, they've just uh, the CERN um, super collider in in Switzerland right now. They're they're looking for the what they call the Higgs boson. Right. Yeah, the God particle. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, science is a wonderful tool for exploring this, this whole thing. And scientific method is kind of the best thing we have for separating the wheat from the, from the chaff, so to speak. Miss um, Argadotta yeah, advocated it, you know, just finally this work in self-inquiry, this effort that, you know, happens at the beginning is an individual effort, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, we're coming from a sense of being separated and individuated from the rest of what we consider to be not me. And uh, the, the possibility is to do it, it, it. You could do it in a scientific way. You could, and some of the greatest yeah. scientists are really mystics, you know? Right. Yeah, and, 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 and theoretical physics is starting to look like, uh, it's starting to look very spiritual. It is. I, I, talk, I, I attended that Science and Non-Duality conference a couple of months ago, and there were several physicists who spoke there, but one of them gave a talk you know, entitled, is, is, science, is, the, is Consciousness the Unified Field? And he, he kind of went deeply into the, you know, what physics understands about the unified field and what mystics understand about consciousness and made a very convincing case that they're talking about the same thing. Right. Yeah, earlier on, J. Krishnamurti... David Baum had some interesting dialogues, similar mm -hmm. to what we're having, you know. Yeah. All righty. Well, you and I are kind of just rambling, both of us now, <laughs> yeah. about, yeah. you know, and people can read books about this kind of thing, and I'm sure that many people are interested in it, but um, maybe we should just wrap it up now. We've, I think we've covered a lot of good ground, and um, it's been kind of really, really interesting talking to you. I'm glad that Mark got in touch. You have a you have a good uh, PR man there. Yes, I do. <laughs> yeah. Mark Sawyer is his complete name, by the way. Yes, I know. Mark. a lot of credit. <laughs> good. Um, so I will make a couple of co concluding remarks, if I may. Um, f first of all, I'll be. I've been speaking with Bob Nichols and. Nichols, uh, actually. No oh, Nichols, not plural. I'm sorry. Right. S singular. Okay. Uh, we got to get that right. That's my <laughs> energy, right. Very sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll be linking to Bob's website from batgap.com. 
uh, and if you live in in California in the Ojai area, you can or Southern California, you can probably see Bob in person. And as I understand from your website, as long as your health allows, you're willing to travel someplace if people pay your your expenses. And do you also do satsangs over the phone or Skype or anything like that? We haven't explored that yet, but I can see from this morning's talk that it's it's absolutely a possibility. You know, yeah, it's just, just like sitting one to one with somebody. And right. I you, think you John do Sherman's doing a lot of that these days. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, so there's that possibility. So anyway, you can go to Bob's site and you'll you know whatever he wants to announce about what he's going to be doing, you'll you'll see it there. And uh, on my site, um, there are several possibilities. Firstly, there are all the interviews I've ever done archived there, and new ones get put up each week. And if you'd like to be notified when new ones get put up, there's a little email thing you can sign up for to be notified. There's also a chat group there, which develops around each interview, and usually 100, 150 uh, messages or posts come in after every single interview I've, I do, and people get discussing what's been discussed in the interview. So that's there. Um, and sometimes the guest himself will come in. If somebody has a question for Bob, for instance, they might want to pose it there, and Bob could come in and answer it. Uh, there's also a podcast, so that if you like to listen to these things on your iPod while commuting or whatever, you can you can follow a link and sign up for that. So that's about it. There's also a donate button. I, I actually just uh, invested in a new computer because this one that I have has really been having some problems, and I, I need a faster one for all this video stuff. So if you feel like donating, there's a button there you can click, and th that would be appreciated. So that pretty much covers it. So thank you very much, Bob, uh, and good luck with your health. I hope you stay with us a long time. You're making a, a wonderful contribution. Um, if you don't, like, uh, you know, get in touch from the other side and tell me what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. Thank, thank you very much for, for inviting me. Yeah, I've really enjoyed talking to you. Very, very interesting man. Or non-man. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> thanks. And so thanks to the listeners and viewers, and we'll see you next time.